Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 12. Uh, if you have your place, let's stand and honor God's word. I'm going to try and finish the chapter here this morning. <clears throat> verse number 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law? But under grace, God forbid, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmities of your flesh. For as ye have in, yielded your members as servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity to iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things, whereof ye are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, how I thank you for this day. Thank you for this service. Thank you for this tremendous church. Lord, allowing me to be a part of it. Lord, I thank you for allowing me to be able to preach uh, to these wonderful people. And Lord, I pray that this morning our hearts would be open. We'd be understanding of your word. And Lord, I pray they'd not see me, but they would see you, I pray in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> So we said last week that we're um, that I don't want anybody in this church to believe what I preach, have your doctrine established on what I believe. I want you to take the Bible and form your understanding. And we've been working through Romans trying to understand salvation. So I'd like to ask this morning, if, if you would raise your hand, I know a lot of you don't like to raise your hand, but I'd like to ask you to raise your hand this morning. But I, want, I would like to ask, how many of you know what I mean when I talk about the, um, the conflict of lordship salvation? 
Do you guys know what that means? Have you guys heard that? Josh the winners heard of that? Okay, real quick, let me tell you what, Lord, it's a huge controversy, it's a huge, it literally splits Christianity into pieces, it literally is uh, where we have sides that, that won't get along in Christianity, but let me try to boil it down in a simplified manner in, in general terms, but there's basically two camps, and one says this, one says, we go over into Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, where it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, and we go over and we say, if you believe, you take Jesus as your Savior and your sins are gone. You don't take him as your Lord, you take him as your Savior. So he takes away your sins. Now, if you continue to live uh, sinful because he's not your Lord, that's okay. Because of justification, your sins are under the blood. Okay? So now he is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. And this camp would say, and I've, and I've, heard, the, I've heard a lot of messages from this camp, and this camp would say, it can't be lordship salvation. In other words, being your lord, being your master, cannot be required of salvation, because if it is, that means all the people who get saved, who don't do what's right, aren't saved. Is, is anybody following that argument? Okay, so that is one camp. The other camp says if you get saved, you can only get saved by repenting of your sins, taking him as your savior and also as your Lord. So the day you were saved, you raise up and that day he is your Lord. He rules your life. He runs your world. He, he, is, he is your master. And those two camps conflict with each other. One saying you can't get saved and you're going to do things wrong so he's not actually the Lord of your life. And what the first camp would actually say is over time you will gradually make him the Lord of your life. The other camp says if he's not Lord, he's not Savior. Okay? Now I, I would fall in the second camp in case you're wondering. Uh, but, but that is the two camps. Now let's look at, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to do this to hurt anyone's feelings. I, I want you guys to think. We're going to get to the text here in a minute. This is all going to tie together if you just give me just a second. There's, there's about three ideas in very general terms that we could view salvation. And, and I believe probably we have about a lot of those views here. Okay? But what does the Bible say? You know, whatever your view is on salvation, does it really matter? That matters what God says. Right. So the first view of salvation uh, in, in very general terms is you get saved. God forgives you of all of your sins. But when you sin after you get saved, now you're no longer saved. And if you don't repent, you will go to hell. OK, that that is that is uh, the uh, the first thought about salvation. Now, who is it dependent upon for you to get to heaven? You. And. So I would just ask this question, in, in, in all humility, are there any scriptures that contradict that? Like a whole bunch of scriptures, right? There's just a multitude of scriptures that tell us that that's not, that is work salvation. That is you doing your part to get you to heaven. How many of you know that it is Jesus Christ that's going to get us to heaven, right? So, so that, that, I have some issues with that, that lining up with the scripture. Uh, and any doctrine we have that doesn't align with all. Now, can we find some verses that say, if you sin, you will go to hell? Yeah, a bunch of them. 
But do, does that doctrine contradict a lot of others? So we have to come up with a doctrine that does not contradict any scriptures and not just pick and choose the ones we want. The second line of belief on salvation is that once you get saved, um, you may still have a lifestyle of sin, but your, your sins are under the blood. So in other words, you pray a prayer, you repent of your sins. If you get up and you continue to live a lifestyle of sin, you live with your boyfriend, you, you go get drunk all the time, you do all these different things, you live a lifestyle of sin, you're still saved because, praise God, it's not about us, it's about him. Now, is there some scripture to back that up? Yeah. Does that contradict some scriptures? Yeah, it does, right? So that won't work, right? What I'm trying to show you is we can pick and choose and we can form a doctrine. But when we're going to find a doctrine that does not contradict any scripture, we've got to find one that, that actually fits in. So, so we don't believe that just every time we sin, we lose our salvation. We don't believe, or I maybe I should say I don't believe, that if you say you're a Christian and you live a lifestyle of sin, you're still saved. I don't believe either one of those. So the third one that I would like to present the view of salvation is, is, is uh, we're, uh, saved by, uh, we're saved and Jesus is our master. He reigns supreme in our life. Now, if Jesus rules in my life from the moment I get saved, sin now becomes the exception and not the rule. Right? Now, I've asked this many, many times. We went over this over and over. But everybody here sins. Okay? There's not anybody here that doesn't sin. Right here, right here, right here's the, your, your, your example. All right? I sin. Since I've been saved, I sin. I sin this week. So we sin. But I don't want to sin. It is an exception, not a lifestyle. It doesn't rain in my life. It, it, it is a stumbling block in my life. Righteousness comes from Jesus. And, and, and I know we've been over this before, but we can no longer enjoy living a sinful life. I believe that's biblical. We've been changed. And I just asked this question. I asked this question humbly. And again, please do not formulate your doctrine over what your pastor says. Please formulate for what the Bible says. Does this doctrine contradict any scripture? I can't find where it does. This, this does not say that if you go on sinning in a lifestyle of sin, that you're still saved. This lifestyle, this does not say that if you, every time you sin, you lose yourself. This says that it's all about Jesus, that we're not supposed to be sinning, but we will sin because we're sinners. But, but our, our, our reigning king is Jesus Christ, and we're going to try to follow him. And I believe that, I believe that checks all the boxes uh, for salvation, and I believe that is the accurate understanding of, what's, of what true salvation biblically is. And if you don't agree with that, I just challenge you to study and, and come to your own conclusion. So as we look at, uh, I don't know if I've made this clear, it's kind of fascinating to me as I studied this out this morning, uh, looking, uh, looking through this. But I would like to break down uh, chapter 6 into three parts. We've already preached the first two parts. Let's look at the... Uh, the, the three parts, but we preached one through uh, one through five, and I would like to present to you that is our position. We are justified because of Jesus Christ. That is our position. That has nothing to do with us. We died. We're, we're, we died out to sin. That is our position. That's where we stand. That's who we are. It's not about us or what we do. That's about Jesus. And we've died. We, we can't accomplish that. It's already done. So that is, our, that is the first five verses. Then the sixth, uh, six through 11, I forgot to point this out last week, and it was, I was, it was like the most exciting thing about the message, and I forgot to say it last week. But 
I believe this is accurate. I, uh, I, I, one of the commentaries said, but I believe this is accurate. But we've been studying for six chapters now in the book of Romans. And until we get to uh, where it tells us what we said last week, to reckon, that is the first command in the book of Romans. Up until this point, he's just been explaining it to us. And when we get to, we get to uh, uh, the sixth chapter here, now he says, reckon. He gives us something to do. And, and so we learned last week, the first, the first five are, is our position. The, the sixth through eleven is our practice. Put it into practice. You are saved, now act like it. Reckon it. Understand, you are saved, now live right. The whole sixth chapter is about don't sin. We're not to be going on sinning. We are to be uh, submitting to Jesus Christ. And so the first one is our position. The second one is our practice, if you will, our sanctification. And, and maybe this won't make sense. I hope I can make it sense this morning. But 12 through 23, which we're going to do this morning, the third part is our understanding. Here's what I believe, church. I believe there are some people who could probably explain, can probably tell you that our position is by justification. I believe some people could probably tell you that our practice is by sanctification and really don't know what that means. <laughs> right? They, they, they can explain it to you because they've just heard it explained so many times, but they really don't understand how that works. Well, I believe that six through tw six or 12 through 23, I believe it explains how this works. And so we're going to try to deal with that this morning. So point number one, uh, starting with verse 12, but point number one, being a slave. I believe that as Americans, we have a hard time understanding being a slave. I, I believe that we are... We are taught from, the from a child to be free, to, to have our rights, to do what we want to do. And I believe that mindset that the Bible is so, so big on of being a slave. Do you guys realize that the entirety nearly of the New Testament, the, you know I, know, I know the King James Version uses the word servant a lot, but go look that up. It's the word slave. We are slaves to Jesus Christ. Okay? So, so what does a slave do? Here's something really hard for us to understand especially in America. Do you know that the, that the master owns the slave? It's actually property. Literally, they, they say, this is, this is my property. I own those slaves. Does the Bible not say that we were bought with a price and now he owns us? And, and so that literally means that he possesses our lives. And, and you know that the slave has no rights the slave has no rights. Well, I'm not going to do that. No, you're my slave. You will do what I tell you to do. The slave does what the master says to do. Church, this is Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. This is what the Bible teaches uh, is to, to be the slave to the master. Now get this. A slave, now we're still talking natural here, we're still talking carnal. A slave who is owned by the master can fail his master. Is that right? You know, I know this is really, don't let your mind run off on me on this, okay? But if we really want to look at reality of life, get, come out of the United States and look all across the world and all down through the last 6,000 years of history, do you realize that a lot of times little children were turned into slaves? 10, 12-year-old little girls, little boys were turned into slaves. Now, if you've got a 10-year-old little boy who now is owned by his master and is supposed to do everything his master says, do you think that 10-year-old little boy might make some mistakes? 
because he doesn't know how to be a slave. He has to be trained to be a slave. What does the master do? He gives a command. The, the, the 10-year-old little boy doesn't do what he's supposed to. What does the master do? He corrects him. And after time, that 10-year-old little boy grows to be a good slave. Our minds are so clouded with Americanism that, that we don't see this picture as, as the Bible wants to. But the Bible shows a picture of the, of the master owning us. We have no rights and we do whatever he says. And when we make a mistake, he corrects us. Can I tell you that is Christianity? That is exactly what the Bible teaches about Christianity. And that is what we are to be, is to be slaves. And if we could get that in our mind, it would really help a lot in Christianity. The master reigns in all of your life. If you are saved in the master, Josh did a little illustration more about opening our hands and we talked about it in Sunday school and everything. But can I just say this here? If you are saved and he's not reigning in every area of your life, he's after you. He's after you. Because that's not acceptable. 90, 95, 99, 99.5, not enough. He wants 100% control of everything in your life. Because a slave doesn't have rights. A slave does what the master says. If we could just unplug just for a minute from how we think and think about the Bible, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. And that would be so easy to understand. But I think when we come to the word slave, we, we, we draw back from our uh, negativity towards slavery uh, that we, we don't allow our minds to go there. So that is being a slave. So let's look at a slave to sin. And, and, and it lays it out here pretty, pretty clearly uh, in, in these verses that we read uh, that, that when you are a slave to sin, you do what sin tells you to do. It says, uh, but, but, verse 17, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, uh, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. But then he goes on uh, to, to speak about when you were in those, uh, the servant of s slave to sin, you did what sin told you to do. Do you know what? Every person on the planet today is a slave. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness, but you are a slave to somebody. Somebody's running your life. Amen? Every single human on the planet, everyone is having their lives run, uh, so you are a, a slave to sin. Sin is your master. Sin owns you. Sin runs your life. Sin tells you what to do. Sin puts thoughts in your minds and your body carries it out. Sin is controlling your life. And here's the thing about sin, and this again is what the Bible teaches. Here's the thing about sin. Satan can get you to serve sin and believe you are having fun. At the same time as he's convinced you you're having a good time, he's destroying your life. The Bible says that the devil comes but to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's making you feel like you're having fun while he is destroying your life. And, you know, um, as we get older, because, um, you know, I can remember back when, you know, when I was in school and, you know, I was 20 years old and we were young, and you're invulnerable and you just think, man, it'd be so much fun to do, you know, all the things that the world's done that seems like such a good time. And, every, and you look around at all the people that are, you know, jumping from bed to bed and, and getting drunk and, and, and getting divorced and getting, all the different things that are going on, all these things are going on. And you think, man, that looks like they have a great life until they get older.
and their kids don't want anything to do with them, and they've been divorced three or four times, and they've got diseases, and they've got and their bodies destroyed. I've shared this story with you before, but the man that I've been visiting, that I work with, um, very near death, very very serious situation. The last time I was down there, the man has <clears throat> stayed drunk his entire life, li- literally every day, literally, every day from work he goes go get drunk every day of his life, smoked his entire life, uh, just lived a very sinful lifestyle. I went down and seen him after several visits down there. The last time I was down there, this way told me. He says, oh, he says, my daughter, she went to church. Because before he'd said his family had never been in church. I says, oh, yeah. And I was a little confused. I thought, well, you know, I, I didn't understand what he was saying. He says, yeah, my daughter went to church. I said, hmm. He says, his, her mother took her. And I'm still trying to understand what he's telling me. And this is what he told me, Mr. Drew. He looked me in the eye and he says, I don't remember any of their childhood. I don't remember any of it. Now here's a man, he's not that much older than me. Here's a man who tells me, all the things my kids did, I can't remember because I was drunk. Now here's what this man tells me. And, and, and I can't even explain to you this story, not working with this man and knowing his life and everything else. I can't explain to you this. But this is what this man tells me now in his situation. He said, Gary... I did this to myself. I'm laying here in the hospital dying because I did this to myself. And now I realize it is wrong and I'd give anything if I could change it. Because I don't have my family, I don't have my kids, I don't have all the things that I want because I thought I was having fun while the devil was destroying my life. How many times could that story be repeated over and over and over? Right? But it feels fun, doesn't it? When you're, when you're 20 years old and you're popular and you're doing all these things, it feels great. And then you get old and you say, the devil just destroyed my life. <laughs> he took everything I had away from me. And, and, and this man that I'm talking about that I work with, I am in great hopes that he will be saved. But how many of you know it's too late for his body and probably his family? There's some things that repentance will, will, will fix your spirit, but it can't fix everything that you've ruined in your life, right? So the slave to sin is a very serious thing, and <clears throat> this is interesting to me. Uh, we, we quote Romans 6.23 all of the time, right? That, that, that is quoted as, a, that's part of the Romans road. It's, we quote it to sinners, we quote it all of the time. But, but when you put it in context and take the entirety of all of the six chapters we've been studying, and particularly these last verses that we're studying now, it says the wages, what you earn from sin being your master, is death. And I want to offer to you, that is not only damnation in hell, but that's death now. That, that is ruining your life, that is shortening your life, that is bringing death upon yourself. And, and can I tell you that slaves earn wages? We, we think about wages and think, well, they don't get a paycheck. Well, slaves earn wages. It, it may be a place to live, it may be food to eat, but they get wages. Can I tell you, there is always a wage for the work that you do. And if you're working for sin, there's going to be a payday. And that payday comes, and it is death. And damnation is waiting at the end when, we, when you're cast into hell. But, but how many multitudes could, could, could confess as they've gotten older that they are reaping death now because of how they've lived, right? Sin pays a paycheck 
and it's not a paycheck that you want to get. <clears throat> then last, or not lastly, but point number three, a slave to righteousness. And, th and this is just clearly, it's really clearly here in the text, if we look at it, Paul is referring to they were the servants of, of sin, they served sin, they were under the dominion of sin, uh, they, they were the, their master was uh, sin, and now they have changed their master, the one that reigns in their life, over to righteousness. And, and, he, and he said, I thank God that, that you followed with, from your heart, sincerely, genuinely, this form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. Uh, um, he said, when, verse 24, when ye were the servants of sin, Sin, ye were free from righteousness. When you were serving sin, you didn't worry about being righteous. You just served sin with all of your heart. He said, what fruit ye had when in those things whereof ye are now ashamed. He said, the things you used to do when you were a slave to sin, you were embarrassed. You were ashamed of those things. You wish you'd never done those things. For the end of those things is death, as we've already said. But now being made free from sin... And become servants to God, ye have fruit unto holiness and everlasting life. Do you see the, the this, is what, this is what I say, understanding it. There's justification that, that we know we're, our sins are, are under the blood of Jesus. There's sanctification where we're living now. But understanding how that works, sin rules your life or righteousness rules your life. One or the other rules your life. And when you understand that, you, you allow the master to rule your life because you realize what sin did to your life. You know, a lot of people in this church, including myself, but a lot of, a lot of people in this church were saved as children. And a lot of times they like to think, well, I never did all of those things, right? I wasn't saved out of a lifestyle of drug abuse or, 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 or all the sinful things. That were there. I wasn't saved out of that lifestyle, but you know, we were saved from that lifestyle. Yeah, now I don't know about the rest of you. I just know Gary real well. I, I, I just know how I am. Had I not been saved, I'd have went down that road hard. I know I would have. I know my personality. I would have, I would have pursued sin very hard. I would have been a very good sinner. I would have d destroyed my life just like everybody else I know that didn't, didn't serve. But thanks be to God, my master became righteousness instead of sin. And instead of destroying my life, I built a good life because the righteousness is master of my life. Does that make any sense? You know, we could talk a lot about heaven and hell, but the Bible still says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, I believe that's now as well as later. Because I believe that when you sow to righteousness, you reap a good life. And when you sow to sin, you reap a bad life. It, it, it's really that easy. And, and boy, if we could just stop right here, wouldn't it be great if we could somehow, you know, most of you that are older, can say amen, but wouldn't it be great if we could get all the young people to really understand that? Brother Jacob and Sister Jamie and, 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 uh, and Christy and Brendan, all those that are working with the youth, are trying to instill in them, but wouldn't it be great if they could understand, not only do I get to go to heaven, but the best life I can ever have, if time goes on, and we don't know the future, but if time goes on and they grow up to be old, the best life they can ever have is serving, serving the Lord, living righteous. And living sinful looks like a whole lot of fun. Can, can, can we be honest? Can we just take our hands Living sinful sounds like fun. Maybe it doesn't to you guys. It does to me. It sounds like fun. But I've seen the end, the end of it. It's ugly. 
It is ugly. It, it just destroys everything. It destroys our bodies. It destroys our lives. It destroys our marriages. It destroys our family. Our children, it destroys everything. If we could get our kids and our youth and all those that come into church to understand what lies ahead if they don't serve righteousness, I, I think that we, I think I've had people tell me this, you'll never get people to live right unless you threaten them with hell. I've had people tell me this, if you believe that you're saved by because of Jesus Christ, you're never going to get anybody to live right because you've got to threaten them with hell. Well, can I just tell you this here? Uh, there, there's more to this thing than just after this life is over. There's right now. I don't know about the rest of you. I kind of like to enjoy my life. But during a minute that term, um, enjoying our journey, I want to enjoy my journey. And if I could just say this, is getting a little older now, Brother Charles. If I could just say this, I'm thankful for the life that I have. Because living righteous has given me a good life. And, and I don't know how much longer I have to live, but I enjoy my life. I enjoy my church family. I enjoy my family, my kids, my grandkids, my wife. I enjoy those things. Do you know you don't get those things if you're a servant to, to sin? Those are all taken away. And it's kind of hard to understand when you're 20, those things. But when you get a little older, you realize, wow, I'd give anything to have a good wife. I'd give anything to have kids, grandkids, have my kids in church. I'd give anything to have that. But you don't see that when you're serving sin. So, <clears throat> so, but there is a payday when you are a slave to righteousness. So just as, there's a, just as there's wages of sin, and that is death in this life and in the life to come, uh, but it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. This is, if you will, if you will allow me, verse 23 is our benefits package. It, it is our, uh, um, uh, our contract with our employer, if you would allow me to use those terms. And, and if you serve the devil, if you serve sin, the wages you will receive is death. Uh, but the gift, the free gift that God will give you is eternal life. And I just, I've said this so many times, but let me say it very emphatically. I do not believe that eternal life starts when you die. I believe eternal life starts when you get saved. We have eternal life. I'm living eternal life. I'm never going to die. I've got a great life right now. And my life is great because of Jesus Christ. And I get to go to heaven when it's over. Amen. I get to go to heaven when it's over. So there's wages for serving sin. There's wages for serving righteousness. And I just couldn't leave this out. Um, uh, it's unusual for me to have four points, but I just couldn't leave this out because I was really touched by this. As I thought through everything in my life and th this message, I don't know if it's made sense to you or not. This, this is trying to get us to understand salvation. And, and again, justification can be a little bit Maybe unclear. Sanctification can be, I don't understand. But this is trying to get us to understand we are servants, we are slaves. And I think everyone can understand that. Okay? But I want to talk about our good master. Can, can I just, how many of you believe we have a good master? We have a good master. I mean, we got a good master. So you, say, you tell someone who is lost, we want you to come in and allow someone else to run your life. Uh, that doesn't sound like any fun. We want him to make all the decisions in your life. No, we want him to, anything he says, you have to do it. Are you crazy? Now, it's hard to explain that to a sinner. But here's what I want you to understand. He's a good master. 
He's a good master. Boy, he treats us so good. I, but Terry, I'm just overwhelmed with how good he is to me. You know, I, I hope you can relate to this. I, I, I trust that if you're truly saved, you can relate to this. But how many of you know, so the Bible says uh, that uh, whom the Father loveth, he chasteneth. A- am I right? And, that, and, that's what, and we've talked about that many times, that if you do sin as a Christian, he will chasten you. But is there anybody here that can, that can uh, uh, verify this with me? I have done wrong, and the Lord has chastised me, and I have felt his loving arms around me. I mean, I just feel that loving. And I've thought so many times, and this is, this is literally what I've thought. I've thought, Lord, for what I did, I really deserved a much harsher punishment. And all you did was open my eyes and correct my path. You know why? Because he's a good master. He's a good master. How many of you know uh, that, that, you know, almost every job, there's a wage that, that goes along with that. We've kind of already talked about that. There's a wage you get paid for, you, for how much you uh, work and what you're worth. And that's, that's the, uh, determined by a lot of things, your skill set and many different things. And, and they pay you what you are worth. And employers are out trying to figure out how much is it worth to get someone to do this job. And if it's a job anybody can do, well, we don't pay so much. If it's a job that very few can do, we got to pay a little bit more. If it's a very high skilled job we got to pay a lot more to get that done if there's a lot of responsibility but how many of you know that my master the master that I serve he looks at you and says well uh, this is how much you're worth I'm gonna I'm gonna give you 10 times that amount I'm gonna pay you wages that are are even ridiculous that don't even come close to what you're worth but I'm gonna dump out the blessings on you because I am a good master I am a good master. Not because you're a good employee. Not because you're a good slave. Because I am a good master. And as I just look over my life, I'm just overwhelmed. I lay down nearly every night as I go to bed. And I think, I've got a good master. I've got a good master. I look at what God's given me and I think, God, I, don't des- I know I haven't been what I should be for you. But you've been so good to me. Am I alone in this? Am I the only one here that feels like God has just been so good to me and I don't deserve it? God is a good master. And so we're trying to convince people who are slaves to sin to become slaves to righteousness. And we again, we tell them that this is what it is to be a Christian. They say, well, that just doesn't sound appealing to me. But if we could get them to understand, he is a good master. And once you give your life to him and once you allow him to run your life and once you fully submit to him and once there is uh, um, uh, um, an understanding that he owns your life, it'll be the best life you could ever, ever live. Amen. 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 So so that I believe that that is the the conclusion of chapter six, uh, uh, the understanding of how it works in a, in a, if you will, a carnal illustration. It is a slave uh, being owned by a master, and we have a good master, and, and we ought to come in thrilled. You know, our master's so good that after we've served him all week long, we come together in a place, and we just want to say, he's good. He's good. And, and like Jenny said, he's right. I had some rough days this week, but he's right. He's good. He's right. He loves me, and, and I'm glad to be his slave. We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. 
If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.